0: I just have a few thoughts. It's late. I'm not going to preach my whole sermon. I say that. We'll see. I, the, more I, the more I minister, the more I find how great my passion is to see people understand who they are in Christ. Some people have, you know, we, we all have different passions. But every time I sit down, every time I pray, I can't hardly get away from the vein of always wanting people to know who they are in Christ. You actually carry the DNA of God. Put it this way. God dreamed you. Then he created you. Which means you are actually a dream come true to God. (laughs) Next time you look in the mirror and you start saying nonsense. Look in the mirror and say, I'm actually God's dream come true. (laughs) Look at the person next to you and say, you're actually God's dream come true.
1: (laughs) Whoa.
0: (laughs) I'm having a hard time standing, guys. There's so much presence in this house. Adam and Eve, I'm, let's see if I can get this piece out. <laughs> I have one piece of revelation that, that, that ruined me from the beginning today. I actually prepared my sermon, and I closed my laptop, and I began to pray, and God dropped a little nugget on <laughs> a little. The biggest nugget I think I've ever gotten. And it just ruined me. I was thinking about Adam and Eve, and they were made in God's image, the Bible says, Right? He formed them, he created them, he breathed into them, and he said, you're good. You're created in my image. The enemy came to them and told them, the enemy of the serpent came and said that, I can make you like God, and if you're like me, many times we're taught our whole life, actually the problem is with that they said they wanted to be like God, but here's the real problem, they were already like God. This, this, ro- this ruined me this morning. They were already like God. And so the idea that Eve wanted to be like God, there was actually nothing wrong with that. The problem was when he convinced her that you have to do something to be like God. Do you realize that the curse was actually introduced into the earth from someone striving? It was not that she wanted to be like God. He said when he created her, he said, you're good. I created you in my image. You're great. The enemy came in, and he was smart. He said, you want to be like God? There was nothing wrong with her saying, yeah, because she was already like God. He'd already told her, it's okay for you to be like me. We've always thought, well, the moment she wanted to be like God, bad. No, you should look like your dad. And, and, and here she is. She, the enemy The enemy can...
1: <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs>
0: The the enemy convinced her that she needed to do instead of be. It was actually where the curse came, was the moment that she she was convinced that you need to do instead of be, and striving was introduced. And the enemy actually manipulated Eve to believe that she had to obtain her identity through works when she already had it through inheritance. She already had it. And it's the same thing that's preached over and over and over and over. If you do this, I could tell you who started that. Anytime someone tells you if you do do this, you'll be like this, red flags should go up. Because in the kingdom, what you do is not about who you are. Or I should say who you are is not about what you do. It's who you're related to. And we bought the lie, the same lie. I bet you half the room, if not more than that, has bought the same lie that has been told, well, if you do this, you'll be holier. I got news for you. If you're saved, you're as holy as you're going to (laughs) get. I already blew you out of the water last week with New Covenant warfare. Might as well go a little farther this week. I actually should have preached this before last week because last week I talked about what it looks like to do war on this side of the cross. And the whole thing was about identity. And really, I'm going to take you back a step this week for just a moment and say you got to know who you are because that's where you fight from. And I don't have a lot of time, but I, I, just, I feel like the Lord is wanting us to understand that at the very beginning, it was all an issue of someone trying to do when all they were supposed to do was be. One of my friends, Karen Walton, said so clearly, she said, you're human beings, not human doings. It's, it's, it's who you are. And the moment that you begin to attempt to obtain something by works that was given to you by grace, you're actually left with a feeling of having less than what you started with. Golly, how many teenagers have we preached that to in youth camp, that we've made them feel like they have to go get it. Don't get me wrong. I I I, had an, I have a group of pastors that I mentor every Tuesday night, and uh, this this was the topic, and one of them said, well, well, what about the topic of contending for things? I said, that's great. I said, absolutely, there's times in life that you have to contend for things, but you do it from a place of knowing who you are. And it's not a contending to, for a son or a daughter position. You're taking what God's already promised to you and you're going after it and saying, this is already mine, but I'm gonna go after it. And what happens is, is people, people hear these sermons, they hear these messages, and, and here they are, they're hungry for the Lord, they're passionate for the Lord, and say, if you'll just do this, and... I, and ugh. And then some people, even when they take offerings, they'll throw it in there. If you do this, God will bless you. I, I, oh. He's going to bless you, okay? He's going to bless you. And people begin to preach these things, and they begin to throw it out there. And it's the same thing that the enemy did at the very beginning. He says, if you want to be like God, just do this. Just eat from this fruit. It's never an issue whether or not to be like God, because God said, I want you like me. You see, this is why people can be in a discipleship class for 25 years and they still never feel like they can teach a small group because they always feel like they're not there yet because they've been taught to feel like keep going after it, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. It's really quiet in the room. I meet people that are so qualified to do that. Sometimes they're like, I can't do that. I'm like, you're crazy. (laughs) You are so overqualified for this. I'm gonna. I've, I've told this story before, but there's, there's so many new people here. When I took over this church, man, I, I, I knew how to do church because I'd been in church my whole life. I just didn't know how to do church that God was showing to me. And I had a prophecy given over myself, me and Tiffany, of course. And we had a prophecy given to us by Brian and Candace Simmons. Actually, last time they were here, we were in a lunchroom over here. And they prophesied. They said, you're going to be used to bring the church into a new wineskin of what God has for it actually in this hour. And that's great and all, but the problem is, is when it's new, you have nothing to copy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a musician, right? So like, well, how I learned was I copied, then I created. That's how, how a lot of people learn. And so I felt like for so many years, I've been in the copying phase, and God's like, good job, it's time to create. You've learned pretty well how to do it, how to not do it in some areas. It's time to create. And so... We had this passion to see what church could actually look like if it were a family. And I know it's everybody's billboard, come be a part of a family. But it just didn't feel like it's happening that much. And so we felt super underqualified. I mean, we we, we began to preach and, and I tell a story just because it's the testimony of God's goodness, but there was just, it was easier when there was like hardly anyone here because if you failed, it wasn't that big. You know, and you didn't have a podcast. Those are great now. It's like, yeah, now everybody can download it. <laughs> and, um, you know, we had this small group of, wonderful people and and god began to say there's 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 better ways to do this and we began to sorry i'm hearing disco while i'm preaching (laughs) that throws you off (laughs) it is going to be a fun day today god told me to wear my vacation shirt you want to hear something funny? And this is not a rabbit trail. I, I'm not one of those guys that everything's prophetic, but sometimes you're just stupid to not recognize it. And I felt like the Lord's like, wear that shirt. I'm like, God, that's a goofy shirt to preach in. This is like my beach shirt. And you know, this is like a statement. I'm on vacation. Leave me alone <laughs> shirt. And I wore it and I'm like, why am I wearing this shirt? And then I remembered, I get here, I'm like, Somebody, uh, Christy had said something to me when I bought this shirt. I put a funny picture on Facebook. So I'm like, look at this vacation shirt. And she's like, I feel like there's something in that shirt that's actually the Lord's going to speak to you through it. And I never really got it yet. I'm like, I'm like, sure. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm here this morning, and the God's like, You're, God, in the middle of worship, some of you probably wonder what I was doing. He said, what's your shirt called? I'm like, I don't know what's it's called, button up. He's like, no, what's your shirt called? What's the brand? So I, AJ was next to me, I said, sounds weird, but I need you to look in the back of my shirt and tell me what the brand of my shirt is. And he looks at it and he's, you know, AJ, <laughs> and he's like, it says free planet, <laughs> That's the brand of your shirt is Free Planet. And I'm telling you, when there's something happening, I had to drive in this morning with my son, and I was trying to explain to him. He's just almost turning 12, and I was trying to explain to him what the curse and how the curse happened. I've had this new opportunity every week. It's just me and my boy riding to church, 20 minutes. So I take my sermon, and I have to get it into 20 minutes for a 12-year-old to get it. And I'm like, now if I know he can get it, if I'm, if I'm failing in here, I'm gonna pull that out. Like, I have the 20-minute easy version. And I was talking to him and I said, Ethan, I was explaining what the curse was and I was explaining what happened. I said, this curse came over then God came and he broke the curse. And I said, now the power of the curse is broken, but it's our job and we owe it to the world to clean up the mess from the curse. It's broken. The power is broken. It's over. But we owe it to the world to bring to them the reality of who you are in Christ And listen, the Lord, there's this story about David. David was just one of my favorites, and I'll try to give you a scripture at some point to be spiritual. But David David was this guy in the Bible. He was the only guy that said he was a man after God's own heart. And I always read that scripture, and it was like, he's the only one that the Bible says this about. I'm like, that's pretty cool. There's something there. And most of you, if you kind of read it like I read it through the filter that I read it through, you read it through a striving lens. He was going after God's heart. But that's striving. And God said to me, He said, John, He said, how many times do people come up to you and say, Wow, your kid takes after you? And it hit me. David was a man who took after God. He looked like God, he understood God. It wasn't that he was a man that was like, I'm going to chase you hard. He was actually, he was actually someone that understood God, and he was when people looked at David and said, "Wow, you're a man after God." Just like someone would look to me and say, "Wow, your kid, boy Ethan, takes after you." Some of you are still struggling on that one. I can feel it. This is why David could so royally mess up and get back on his feet, because he understood God's view on forgiveness. This is the reason that David was doing things that shouldn't have been happening yet. You understand, do you get it that David came in at a time where they had the, the tabernacle, the, the, the manifest presence of God rested in this box and, and the, the protocol at that point was just take the box and put it in a room and only certain people can go in there and put the little bells on their, you know, the little ding on and then if it stops ding a pull them with a rope because they're done. How would you like to be a priest in those days? <laughs> So, it's so, like, hey, Joe, your turn. I've had a rough week, man. Let Tim go. I'm like, I don't know if I'm up to it. Tim's like, man, you know, And you go in, ching, ching, ching. <laughs> it's true. But David comes in and he says, I, I have this understanding of God because I'm a man after God's own heart. Ever since I was a little boy, I've been worshiping God. And I know something about God that no one else knows. He actually wants to be in the middle of all of his kids. And they so, say, so let's take this tabernacle that they've had in a room and it's hidden and let's actually bring it into the middle of the tent let's surround it and let's sing. Because he is actually a man after God's own heart. And he said, I understand what my dad likes. Because I've been with him so much since a kid worshiping, I get him. And he doesn't want to be in a room. He wants to be in the middle of his kids. You see, the Bible, David was, a, David was almost a forerunner of Jesus that was to come. Matter of fact, David got drafted into the lineage of Jesus. And so here's David, and, and it was the first time in your Bible that God was trying to show something. He's trying to say, I really want to be in the middle of you. He's not up there during worship, and we're out here. That's the thinking that creates weak churches that says, well, man, if the pastor doesn't pray for me, I'm not going to get my healing. I'd rather have, honestly, some of the nine-year-olds pray over me and eight-year-olds than anyone else because when they pray over me, they haven't got filled up with bad doctrine yet. And they're just like, I just know God heals, so let's pray and let's be done with this. (laughs) Because I really want to go play on my playground that doesn't exist right now. So, <laughs> my kids, they're so sure in it. It's like, I'm like, I'll be feeling sick. I'm like, I'm like, no joke. Uh, the first Friday night worship thing we did a week or so ago, I, I was really sick. But I, I was like, you can wheel me in here. I'm going to be here for part of this because I want to experience it. And that day, I was laying in bed, and I was down, man. And my, my kids would come in. And I'd be like, Addie... <laughs> Will you pray for me? She'll be like, yeah. <laughs> she comes over. She's so funny. She's like, Jesus, heal my dad. Because you love him. Amen. Can I have some ice cream now? <laughs> but how many know that there's just such a purity in that David? When he was that age, he started worshiping God. And he started in a field and he just went out there. And he was the one that when they came and they were looking for someone to slay the giant, they didn't even bring him in. He's the musician. Here's my here's man. My There's David. He's the heart, heart boy. Because you remember the story? He said, bring them all in. And they bring him in. And, and he's looking around. And it's, hmm, is that all of them? There's David. I mean, David's the guy that, you know, he's dancing around in the field. Twi- twinkle toes out in the field. God said, or just, he said, bring him in. So they bring him in. I always joke here because the Bible said he was ruddy and good looking, which would mean he's redheaded and good looking. There's a grace there, guys. And uh, they bring him in, and he says, that's him. Him? That's him. David's probably like, me? You see, David had created this relationship with the Lord in the private so that when it was time to come out and do battle in the public, he was already secure in who he was. And so many people try to be in the public eye before they ever have time in the private eye of God. And then they get out there and they don't understand why it all falls apart and why I feel so bad. And no one showed up to my small group and it's like, well, sorry, but you know what? That doesn't change who I see myself as. And here's David. He said he was after God's heart. And so David comes on the scene. He says, Listen, God wants to be in the middle of his people. He's he doesn't want to be in this room, in this closed off area. He wants you to put him in the middle. And he wants the singers and the musicians. And you know what he did? He began to represent something that wasn't supposed to happen yet. He actually began to demonstrate a new covenant believer, a lifestyle of worship. Because 24 seven, all right, 24 seven for 33 years, they did this. Here comes Jesus. God's trying to show him again. He said, I'm going to actually send my son, but he's going to live among you. And he walked the earth for 33 years. And he was trying to get it across that God was saying, I just want to be right in the middle of you. But Satan's trick from the beginning has been, let's put a wall between you and God. And the only way I can do that is for you to believe you have to do something for God to be with you. And so here they are. I'm just trying to think where I want to go. I don't really want to go through all this, guys. Don't have time. Can I just give you a snapshot? It says in Romans. The Bible says that he dwells in us. You're a child of God. Sin came in because Adam and Eve were convinced they had to do something to be with God. And it came in. And the Bible tells us that creation groans for you to understand that you're a child of God. Creation actually is groaning for you to get it and for me to get it. Romans 8.26 says that the Holy Spirit is groaning. Why? For you to know who you are.
1: Creation
0: the Holy Spirit and the Son, they're all groaning for one thing, for you to know who you are in him. They're not, they're not all groaning for you to know that you're just a sinner saved by grace. They're not, the Holy Spirit isn't groaning over you for you just to understand how weak and feeble you are. The Holy Spirit is groaning over you saying, if you could just understand who you are in me, you're set. And it's not just the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Son is groaning and creation is groaning all for what? One thing, for you to know who you are in Christ because you can't possibly know how to do battle if you don't know whose you are. And they're, they're groaning for you to say, you need to know who you are in me. Paul understood this. He, he wrote, if you have your Bibles, let's just read in Ephesians chapter 1. It says in the very first passage, Ephesians 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Goes on and says, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, everybody say every, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and in Christ. Here's the key, but every blessing is in him. The enemy is getting you to focus on just trying to figure out how to get the blessings. God's saying, I just need you to get to understand if you're in me, all that comes with it. You see, the orphan mindset, that's how the orphan mindset works. It's got to make you feel like you have to do something to earn, you know, well, I don't know if I'm going to get to eat tonight. My kids at this point have never once wondered if they're going to get a meal. Now, they whine a lot when they're hungry, but they've never actually not thought they were going to get fed because they know mom and dad's going to take care of that. They operate from a position. I'm his son. He'll take care of that. God is just trying to get us to understand. You're in me. If you get that, you're going to be okay. We have this catalog of blessings. He said he's blessed you. The word blessed is actually, I've I've taught this a couple years ago, but that word blessed is actually the word eulogio. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible. Because it actually means this. Does the word eulogio sound familiar? When someone dies, there is a eulogy. Here's the beautiful thing about God. He actually spoke a eulogy over you before you were ever born of great things. You see, we at the end of someone's life, we look back through their life and write up something about all the great things that happened and we call it a eulogy. God looked ahead of you and said, I'm gonna write out a eulogy over your life and it's beautiful. And that's what that word says. It says, I have written, I have blessed you, I have given you all of these amazing things in him. You just have to be in him. You just have to be in him. Verse 10 says that, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are here on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Everybody say an inheritance. Being predestined and according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. (laughs) He chose you. He eulogized you before you ever walked the earth. He said, I've written a story for you. It's really good. People that say, I just don't feel like there's any plan for my life.
1: Oh, man.
0: What a, yeah, I don't know what to say. (laughs) What a dumb thing to believe, though, when he's saying, I've written this beautiful story over you. Romans 8.28 says that, and all things work together for our good. I'm trying to paint a picture here. Hang with me. What does all this mean? Creation is groaning. The Holy Spirit is groaning. The Son, the Bible says, is interceding to who? The Father, who has already made up his mind. He's gonna bless you. It's hard to lose. I said, the Son is interceding, the Holy Spirit is groaning, creation is groaning all to a father who already decided he's gonna bless you. They're not trying to change his mind. It's done. I'm trying to get you to a place when the enemy tries to bring in the same picture that he did with Eve and says, well, you gotta do this and you gotta do this and you gotta do this. You're like, do you know who I am? I mean, seriously, it's like, do you know who my dad is? Right? I'm a pastor's kid. And we were the guys that, like, came into church, like, when I was little. You know who my dad is, right? Like, he's the pastor. You know, be misbehaving in Sunday school. It's like, well, I'm the pastor's kid. Some teachers, it worked. Most, it didn't. God created this thing so you can just say to the enemy, here's the thing. I look just like my dad and I'm in my dad and he's in me and I have every blessing I need. It's not arrogance, it's confidence. And the more we understand this as my ch- my shirt so well says, the more the planet will become free. That's, our, that's, that's my passion. That's your responsibility is how do I get everybody around me to understand how much God loves you and how little you actually have to do. There's nothing you have to do to receive his love. Now, I'm not saying discipleship and advancing the kingdom is always easy. But I'm saying in the love of God, there's nothing you need to do except receive. Isn't it crazy that you can preach that and it becomes uncomfortable because we've been taught our whole lives of what all we need to do? I'm convinced the gospel is just so much easier than what we really have understood. Here's the thing. (sighs) You've been given an inheritance. This always blows my mind. Jesus needed to die so you could get your inheritance. I mean, know a family member passes away, there may be an inheritance. Jesus needed to die so you could get your inheritance. But then he came back to life, lets you keep it, and shows you how to use it. That's the kingdom. That's it. He said, I have to lay down my life so they can receive the inheritance that belongs to them. And so he laid down his life, and the inheritance was given. And then he said, but good news, I really want to be with you. So I'm going to come back from the dead. No worries. The inheritance is yours. And then I'm going to bring my Holy Spirit that will show you how to use the inheritance. Nowhere in that did it have anything to do with what you and I have to do. It was all about what he did. The curse came because someone bought into the idea I have to do something to be like him. Does that mess you up as much as it messes me up just realizing that the, the how much striving can mess us up? And God is saying over and over, Just needs you to know you don't have to strive. The Holy Spirit's groaning. You got to know you don't have to strive. The Son's interceding. Don't have to strive. I believe there is a, I, I really do believe there is a reformation that's happening. And it's a reformation of people knowing who they are in Christ. You understand? A reforming. Reformation is a reforming. He's reforming the church. Saying, I need you to know what you are supposed to look like. This feeling like you have to do this or all these different things you feel like you have to reach. Nah, just come. I'm not watering down the gospel, folks. I'm actually trying to tell you what it says without manipulation involved to get people to do what the preacher wants them to do because that's where we begin to manipulate. Manipulate say, well, I'm not going to get them to do that unless I twist that scripture a little bit. And then someone hears it. And then they repeat it. And then they repeat it. And down the line, we have years of a repeated something that came out of a moment of bad judgment. And God's saying, I want to bring you back to what the family of God should look like. It's people that don't have to strive. When you walk through these doors... You don't, I mean, anywhere really, but I can speak for here. To come into his presence, you don't have to strive. I walked, I pulled onto the property this morning. And I could feel it, man. (laughs) I could feel it. I could feel God was up to something big today. To the point I just sat in my truck for a little bit and just sat there. And just waited. And I walked in and there's nobody in the sanctuary. It's like, where are all the people? They're all in the prayer room. <laughs> I went in the prayer room. I was like, man, I'll just stay back here.
1: Been here for a while, I knew it one time. We had a prison minister until we closed the prison down. <laughs> but those people thought that they weren't worth it. And society had taught them that. And here's what God gave them. Jesus loves you, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. If you can get that in you, And I exalt Thee. Sing it with me. And I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. Oh, Lord. Everybody
0: knows it. Sing it out.
1: And I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, oh Lord. Let's stand up, can we? And Lord,
0: we praise You.
1: And Lord, we praise You. Oh.
0: some of you, some of you even on the language that you've not even heard him talk to you in. We've created this vision of God speaks in King James only. He's a dad. He speaks how you understand. I speak to my kids to make sure they understand me. And he's speaking to some of you this morning, and some of you even wonder, you say, is that his voice or is that my voice? Well, good news, you're a lot like him. So if he's calling you into identity, he's speaking. He's speaking. And I'm talking to a lot of people here and that if I feel like the Lord, he, he told me this morning, he said, John, he said, we're breaking off bad theology. I don't even like the word theology because I feel like it's a heady term, honestly, but that's what he told me. He said, John, we're breaking off bad theology. People have believed for so long that you have to do something for me to love them. He said, we're going to destroy that. And we owe it to the world, church, to tell our neighbors, to tell our coworkers, to tell our friends, not to try to manipulate them into making a decision, but to try to welcome them into knowing their identity and say, man, God just, just thinks the world of you. Well, you don't understand. You don't know me, man. You don't know what I do on the weekends. Well, God still really loves you. It's just things the world to you. You are his dream come true. I'm going to say that as we close that. You are his dream come true. He dreamed you, and he created you, and he looks at you and says, you're my dream come true. So I speak to every weight and burden that some of you have been carrying for a really long time on thinking you just don't meet up. And just tell you. Ask God right now what he really thinks about. Matter of fact, let's do that. Ask God right now. There's certain, I can feel your, there's these, these, these mindsets in the room that you're saying I've done this or I've been here or I've done that or you don't know this. Ask God right now. God, what do you think about that? And Listen. I bet you it'll be good.
1: Thank you, Jesus.
0: I want to close doing one more thing. I originally was going to talk about Thanksgiving this morning, not like the holiday, but actually a life of Thanksgiving. And there's a a connection with this as we close out. Both when Jesus did the miracle of multiplying the bread and raising Lazarus from the dead, he gave thanks. But he didn't give thanks for the situation. He gave thanks in the situation. Yeah. Some of us have been tricked into thinking that God did this to me to teach me something, and so we actually blessed the storm. When Jesus said, peace be still, he never blessed the storm. We don't bless what's not God, but the only reason we would do that is if we've been convinced that something is him, and if you think he's made you sick, if you think he's brought this hardship on you, if you think that you did this, and so God caused me to lose my job, that's some of the biggest lies, and God always gave thanks in the situation, but he never gave thanks for it, and we even see In the Old Testament, we see different prototypes of this. You ever thought about Daniel in the lion's den? You ever thought about the fact that Daniel set aside time every day to stop and give thanks? And when he found himself surrounded by lions, they wouldn't mess with him? Some people just think it's because he's an awesome prayer warrior. I would propose to you it's because he lived a lifestyle of giving thanks. And when he was in the den, even the lions wouldn't mess with him there's a way to be even in the den that there's times everything surrounds you, but it won't mess with you because you say, I live a life of thanks. And so before we go any farther, before we close this thing out, I want you to take a moment and I want you in the middle of whatever you feel swirling around your head this morning that's trying to convince you otherwise, say, Father, I just give thanks I give thanks that I get to be your kid. I give thanks that I'm your son. Even right now, come on. You really, you need to verbally say this. Lord, I give thanks that you know everything I'm going through. I give thanks that, Lord, you know my future. You know my past. You know my current. And, Father, you've got this. I give thanks. I give thanks for my family. I give thanks for, Father, all of the blessings that surround me. I give thanks. I give thanks. And watch, dreams can be resurrected in this atmosphere. Lazarus was resurrected in the atmosphere of thanks. Right now, whatever it is that you feel is dead, give thanks in the middle of it. Give thanks in the middle of it. And watch him say, wake up. Wake up. Wake up.
1: In Jesus' name.